let us know what we can do to help you out. There was a story of a minister who was leading a building campaign in his church, and his idea to how to raise some money was he was going to send some of his people around in the neighborhoods and sell Bibles. Interesting idea. There was a story out of Benton United Methodist Church. And so he, he uh, picked some of the people in his congregation. He had two people that were professional salespeople. And he was going to pick them, but then a third one wanted to, to go along. So Peter was one of the professional sales guys, and, and he went out, and he went to sell some of the, the Bibles. And he came back, and he said, I have sold ten Bibles. I have $100 towards the building fund. He said, well, very good. And so he got, uh, uh, Paul was up next, and Paul had, um, he had sold a lot more. And so he said, I have sold 32, here is $320 for the building fund. And so he thought, well, that's, that's fantastic. And then they came up to the, to the third guy. And this third guy, he didn't even want to give him Bibles to go out there and sell because uh, Lou had a, he had a stuttering problem. And he constantly stuttered. He just couldn't get things out uh, that way. And so he didn't really want to, but he really was enthusiastic about it and wanted to. So he gave him the Bibles to uh, go out there and sell. And when he came back, he asked him, he said, how many Bibles did you sell? And he didn't answer him. He just handed him an envelope. And inside the envelope, as he counted the cash, was $10,000. And so they said, how is it that you outsold these two over here? They're professional sales guys. How did you outsell these people who were professional sales? He, he didn't know. He just kind of shook his, shook his uh, shoulders and that was it. And so he said, well, look, you've got to tell us. What did you say to these people when you went up to the doors and you said you, you were asking them to, um, to help out with this? What did you say to these people? So here's what he said. He said, um, I, 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 I re really... Don't, don't know f f for sure. I said, come on, just tell us, what is it? Just tell us, the, when you went to the house, you knocked on the door, what is it that you said? He said, all right. He said, all, all, all I, I said was, you, you, you'd like to buy a Bible or would you... Like me to stand here and read it to you. <laughs> We're talking this morning about passion. It is good to be passionate about things. And as we're still continuing on looking at this, this section on bitterness, we've uh, looked at that bitterness can come in, from things that people do and, and things that, that people say. It also comes from the accuser who comes and sits on your shoulder and begins to accuse the people that are around you of evil, of things not so good. And we listen. Sometimes we even repeat those things that the accuser says. Don't take up the role of the accuser. Don't be one. When you hear those, those words, that's not your father. Remember which, the story we looked at with the woman caught in adultery. Jesus was not one of her accusers. Jesus even said, where are your accusers? They have all left. They're gone. Because Jesus was not an accuser. Jesus is not an accuser. Don't you be one either. So we looked at, at that story. We saw Saul and David. That David was given to Saul as someone who would help, or yeah, David was given to Saul as someone who would help him in his ministry and the things that he was supposed to accomplish for God. But the accuser came in, whispered some things in his ears. We looked at Naaman, and we saw how Naaman got mad, and Samuel hadn't done anything to him, hadn't harmed him, hadn't spoken poorly to him. He told him what to do to go and get healed of his leprosy and he got mad and so we saw that bitterness anger can come in even if people don't do something to you and certainly we know that they can come in when people do something against you they do something towards you 
But we have to get to the place where bitterness and anger don't become part of us. We don't listen to the accuser. Today we're going to look at passion. And just like that man who had a passion for, for uh, uh, going out door to door. Just one or two. Even though he wasn't cut out for it. Even though he didn't have all the, the tools. But boy, he wanted to. We've got, uh, got to understand passion a little bit in this. There's a story in the Bible, and we have looked at it at times, but not as often as we have some other stories. So we're going to take a look at this story back in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. And for some reason, Brother Darrell, I did not put these in my outline. I usually go back and through and put all them in there. So I'm going to read it off the screen along with some of you. If you have your Bibles here, certainly feel free to turn over to it. But let's look over at verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now don't keep this in mind. It does, the Bible does not say that Cain and Abel were the firstborn. It does not come out there and say that these were the first. And that uh, the, the first boy, I think I put that in your outline that way. But just because Cain was announced as being born does not mean that he was the first born. There could have been a daughter beforehand. More than likely, he is the first boy. So Cain, the first boy, baby, but perhaps not the first child. Don't know that for sure. But just, say, just know this. The Bible does not say it was the firstborn, but it was the firstborn boy, it seems. Let's go on to verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Verse 4. And also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Well, we see that they both brought offerings to the Lord. Now, you don't bring an offering to the Lord unless you love the Lord. How many of y'all know people are out there and they go to work and they take all their money and they use it for the things they want? Some of us have learned the things of God and we, we bring part of what we earn and we bring it to God. But not everybody does that. There's a passion that you have to have for God if you're going to do that. People don't just do it. Do it they give to other causes. They'll give to other things along those lines, but they won't necessarily do that if they're not to the point where they have a passion for that. So we see that, that Adam and Eve were taught by God how to bring a sacrifice, what they were supposed to do. God came down, Jesus came down, taught them, this is how you sacrifice. Showed them how to, how to kill them how to uh, set up the altar, how to burn them, all that sort of... Everything was set up by Jesus. He came in and he taught them how to do it. Adam and Eve then went on and they taught their kids how to bring sacrifice to the Lord, taught them the importance of it. They passed these things on to them. So when they come to the place where they're making the offerings, they're out there, they're earning their own living, their their own stuff, making their own stuff. They came and they brought an offering. And Cain went in a different direction. He was a tiller of the ground. He grew things out of the ground. Abel, his brother, was one who had uh, sheep. And so he had livestock. And so they each brought of what they had. But God didn't ask you to bring what you had. He had specific things. Because in the offering, it was, uh, there was a lot of type and, and things looking forward to the, the things that Jesus would do as a sacrifice for him. So blood had to be involved. And Cain did something else. But he still brought what he had. So he has to have a love for God. He has to have a passion for God in order to do this. But unfortunately, some things had gotten corrupted. And on Cain's own decision, he went in a different direction on what the offering was going to do. Now, Abel's offering was respected by God. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. But Cain doubted God's way. And so they brought the, the pattern that says in verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was what? Cain became very angry because God did not accept his sacrifice. And it says his countenance fell. 
would Cain be affected in this way? That his countenance would fall and that he would become angry if he did not have a passion about what he's doing. I'll give you some examples on this. How many of you are following the NBA playoffs? One, two, three. My hand is up, but it's not really. I, bear, I only know who's in them because people have told me. I have not watched a game. I have not watched a highlight film. I have not seen anything about that. But we have four people who in the congregation who have watched this. And the reason for it is, the reason that you will watch it is you either have a passion for the game, a passion for one of the teams, and you want to see one of them win, or you have a passion and want to see one of the teams lose. When we get to the Super Bowl, if the Dallas Cowboys are in and the Philadelphia Eagles are not, I know many people in this area who will watch it to see and to make sure that the Dallas Cowboys would lose or the New England Patriots would lose Things uh, because there's a passion that is there. But I have absolutely zero passion for the NBA and zero passion for either team that is playing. I really don't care who wins and who loses. If one team wins, great. Or not, it doesn't matter to me. I have absolutely no passion involved in the thing at all, which is why I don't tune it in. Now, if you don't like sports, how many of you like to watch cooking programs? Now we got a lot more hands with that. How many of you do not like to watch cooking programs? Wow, nobody doesn't. So the reason that you like to watch cooking programs is because you have a passion for either food or the preparation of it. And so you watch that because it feeds your passion. And you, and you like to do these particular things. And so if you watch the TV, you're going to watch those things that you are passionate about. There's a show on TV that some of you may watch and some of you may not. How many have ever seen the show River Monsters? Yeah. A couple of people. How many of you tune in and watch the show River Monsters? Anybody here at all? Watch the show River Monsters. There are two, three, there are three people. My hand is up this time. <laughs> River monsters is about these creatures that live in the water that eat you. That's what it's about. <laughs> and uh, if you don't have an enjoyment of that, if, you know, some people, they don't like the water, you don't want to go in the water and, and all that sort of thing. You know, watching the first couple of seasons of this, people who would say they weren't going to go in, would not go in the ocean, I'm thinking... You're crazy. Look what's in the fresh water. <laughs> There's worse stuff in the fresh water than there is in the ocean. So they spend, what, three, four seasons going over all the stuff that was in the fresh water, and then they spend one season on what's in the ocean. So which one's worse? <laughs> At least in the ocean, you can see what's coming to get you. <laughs> A lot of the fresh water stuff they're in, you can't see nothing. But if you watch those things, whatever it is that you sit down and watch, whatever it is that you sit down and listen to, it's because there's a passion there that either drives you to watch because of its love or a passion is there that drives you to watch because you despise it. And you want to see it go down. Whatever it might be, it's, it's a passion. If you are indifferent to it, as I am with the NBA playoffs, if you are indifferent to it and someone wins or loses, you just don't care. Well, did they? Oh, well, I guess that's nice. But it won't make you angry. If the two teams are in there, let's see, it's Golden State and it's um, the team from Ohio. Cleveland. Cleveland. They have a particular player on Cleveland that could arouse my passions against them. But um, not enough to, to get. And, and Golden State does have a particular player that could arouse my passions for them. But not enough to get me to sit down there and watch the game just not going to watch the game um, but if you have a passion for something you are vulnerable to anger and bitterness without passion it is really impossible to get you angry or sad ecstatic joyful it's impossible to have your countenance fall 
or to have your countenance rise up. Without passion, you don't go in one of these two directions. The only reason that you will go in those directions is because of the passion that is in you. Look at it this way as well. If you are in the Walmart, we all like to pick on Walmart. I don't go to Walmart because, so don't think I saw you or anyone else there and, and just really didn't do that. You are in the Walmart and, uh, and you see a spouse say something particularly damaging, particularly harsh. It might get you upset. But really, after you leave the Walmart, you won't be thinking about it anymore. If your spouse said that same thing to you, would it have the same effect? No, it would stir something up on the inside of you, wouldn't it? Fire, anger, bitterness would come up. Why? Because there's no passion with a couple in the Walmart. But there is passion with your spouse. Without passion, it's impossible to stir up great feelings. And if the devil is going to stir up bitterness and anger, he has got to find an area that you have passion about. Because if you are indifferent, no matter what he says or does, it will not drive you in any direction. So when we see this verse, that Cain, his offering was not accepted. And that Cain was not just angry. What's it say? Very angry. Very angry. The more passion you have for something, the more anger you are capable of. And the more joy. The more joy. And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. Because he has a passion for God. Is it possible to have your, your anger stirred up to this degree because God rejected your offering without having a passion for God? It's not possible. If he was indifferent to God, he wouldn't care if God took his offering. Well, I did my part. Whether you want it or not, it's up to you. But I did my part. That's how we go off and, and begin thinking, that, thinking about that. But no, we got it. There's passion involved. So don't wonder, does Cain love God? Does Cain bring his offering because he's trying to do his best for God? You don't have to wonder about it. This verse right here will tell you, and Cain was very angry. Very angry. Now, I'm not completely indifferent to all the sports that are going on around. There's a hockey game going on, I believe. Isn't there a Stanley Cup playoff going on right now? For which I have no care whether one team wins or loses, but I do want a particular player to lose. There is one player on a particular team whose colors are yellow and black, who I do not think deserves to be in the NHL at all. I think he should be barred. I think he should be cast out. And I think he should put on a skirt. You can tell I have a little bit of passion about this. I don't like to see the stuff that he does. He gets me angry. He gets a lot of folks angry at the things that he does. And I heard somebody was telling me recently he was almost on our team. I was shocked. I said, no. I said, yes, he was almost on our team. I said, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Because these kind of players do not deserve to be in the NHL. They just, I don't know why they continue to allow him to be but but that has not brought me to the place of watching however if the team in yellow and black happens to lose I will have at least a little bit of joy because there is some passion there let's go into verse 6 so the Lord said to Cain why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen the Lord, he came and said this to him. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Now, if the Lord, now these people know who the Lord is. 
This is not like it's an angel. This is the Lord. The Lord comes and he says, doesn't say how he says, is it a dream? Is it a vision? Is it face to face? I don't know how he says it, but we have this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? What we do know is that the Lord says this to Cain in such a way that he has no doubt who it is and what it is that he's saying. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? How many of you, if the Lord says this to you, you're on your knees repenting? Go on to verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. If you do well, there's a question there, right? Did Cain do well? No. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, his offering was not accepted. That would tell us he did not do well. He could have done better. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. It doesn't say you won't be accepted. He says sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should. Should. Potential. You should rule over it. So understand this. Whatever area you have passion for, whatever area you have passion for, there's a passion for God, there's a passion for His Word, there's a passion to move in the Spirit, there's whatever it is that you have passion for. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. It's there at the door. It's waiting to get in. And what happened with Cain? Sin was at the door. And what got in? Sin got in. He's angry. Now we know, look at this verse. We know in the first part, he was not accepted. So that whole part is out. Now God has given him two choices. How many of y'all know one of these choices is the way he went? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And... Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Would you not take from this, this statement that God makes that he's in the second half and that he has not ruled over sin? That's what I get from that. All we know about Cain is all we need to know. That God did not accept his offering. That he got very angry. And his countenance fell. How many of you right now can say, maybe this week, maybe this month, that you have become very angry and your countenance fell? Is it possible that sin got in the door? Is it possible that sin, desire to rule over you, succeeded in that part? Put this in your outline for you. Under the strain of bitterness, right passion will not survive. Under the strain of bitterness, right passions will not survive. Here's what happens. We have an area that we are passionate about. Something has gone on and the reaction that we expect, we do not receive. Anger comes in and bitterness. We, we meditate on that anger and pretty soon we become bitter at that person. If you allow the bitterness, the anger, and things like this to come in, whatever passion you have, whatever right passion you started off with, will not survive. It won't survive. You cannot have right passion alongside of bitterness. Alongside of an anger that is not correct. That passion will become corrupted. And I'll tell you what, we get our passion corrupted, folks. We get problems. I put this in your outline for you. Without passion, bitterness cannot find its footing. This is basically what we talked to you before about. If you don't have a passion for something you're not going to get bitter over its results or joyful over its results. You won't care because there's no passion. 
It is because we care that care can be corrupted. Right? Because I care, that passion, that care I have on the inside can become corrupted. If I didn't have it, it couldn't become corrupted. Sometimes we have a hobby. Maybe you know, some of you guys, some of you got some gals too, uh, like working on cars. And so you, you get a car and you're going to work on this. You're going to rebuild it. You're going to do all these things. I, I, I don't have a passion for that. You know, if you called me up and say, hey, Steve, want to come on over? I'm going to work on my car. I'll say, <sighs> I'd rather watch grass grow. I just have no passion for, for doing that. My idea of fixing cars is, where's the mechanic? Right, now, there's a couple of times, you know, my son-in-law and my son like to save money changing their brakes. I told you this story before, changing their brakes. It seems like their brakes always went bad in the winter. And they wanted to save the couple hundred dollars on, on the brakes, so they went out and they bought the parts to do the brakes. And every time, every time that the brakes needed to be worked on, it's being worked on in the driveway. Everything is blocked off now in the driveway. No one can get out. No one can get in because what was supposed to take one hour has now taken six and we're not done. <laughs> and along the lines of them working on it somehow, all three of us have worked on all of them. And then eventually we even had to go over and get my neighbor who's a car guy and bring him in on it. We got four of us working on it. It's cold. Everything you work on in a car is dealing with metal. Metal is colder. So you have, and you have to have your hands. You can't use gloves because then you can't do the stuff. So you have bare hands in the winter and the cold working on cold things. What is the feeling about that? I don't understand. There's nothing up here. I have no passion. My passion is I want to go inside. <laughs> Just let me go inside. You know, people pick on me for running in the winter and, and stuff. Like, but I got gloves on. I have gloves. I have a hat. I may not have long pants on. I have shorts on. But my legs are moving. And I'm warm. For the most part. I mean, reasonably warm. And I'm out there doing something I want to do. Now I'm out there in the cold. Working with cold tools on cold parts doing something I have absolutely no knowledge of. So when my brakes are doing the truck, you know what I did? Took it to the mechanic, changed the brakes. I picked it up a number of hours later, and that was, uh, that was good to do. I, I like that one. Let, let them do all that sort of stuff. I don't even change my own oil. I could if I wanted to. I can do that part. But why bother? I mean, really, when you think about it, what's it cost? $25 to change your oil? How much does it cost to go out there and buy all that stuff? 23 Now, people that are passionate about that, oh, no, I changed my own oil. No one touches this car. They've got a passion about it. I understand that passion. I just don't experience it. So because of the things that you are passionate about, you will pursue those things. But a good passion can become corrupted. And you can have something that's as fun as working on cars, where all of a sudden now every moment of the day and all of the finances and everything that you have is spent on working on that car. And everything else is being neglected. You see, what was a good passion became corrupted. And now, it's not producing good. That's one of the tactics the enemy wants to try and do, folks, is to take your passions and corrupt them. Or he'll try and give you bad passions. But it's because we care that care can be corrupted... If you're apathetic or indifferent to something, it is unlikely anything there can bring you into bitterness. Now, he says here with the right sacrifice, he says, sin lies at the door. It's there. Sin is at your door. 
You can't chase that away. What you can do is keep it from getting inside. We're in the summertime. How many of you in the summertime, for any extended period of time, have your porch light on? Anybody here? Put your porch light on. What happens when we put the porch light on? Bugs. We all know that answer. Bugs come to the light. Even if you get that fancy bug light, they still seem to like it. Bugs come. And so, we, don't, we, we know you can't mess with the bugs outside, right? This is always, you know, there's a bug there. We're outside, there's a bug there. I said, that's fine, we're outside, this is his home. Bugs are allowed to be out here. A bug inside the house, she don't like the bug inside the house. Now, if it's a big bug, she, she points it at pop-up, and she'll point at the bug. If it's a little bug like an ant, tell you what, she goes after them. She will go after them little suckers. They do not stand a chance. We have limited her to no, eat, eat no more than three. No more than... No, she doesn't eat them. I'm just <laughs> but she will kill them. She gets them in her finger and she squishes them because they do not belong inside the house. She's very passionate about that. But you know, in the summertime, porch light is on. You know, without even going outside, the bugs are there. If you want to keep the bugs from coming inside, you have to take steps to keep those bugs from outside coming inside. Sin lies at the door. You've got to take some steps to keep what is outside from coming inside. Now, if you get rid of all the people inside the house, the bugs inside the house won't be a problem. I mean, isn't that right? If there are no people inside the house, no one cares that the bugs are there. The only time we care about the bugs being inside the house is when we are inside the house. Because then the bugs are flying in our face, getting on our food, getting in stuff we don't want them to. I don't care about bugs in my house unless I'm in the house. So sin lies at the door. The one way that you can make this not be a problem is to get rid of all passion. And then you don't care. But that's not a good way to go, is it? We need to have passion in part of our life. Even though the devil can corrupt it. We need to have passion inside of our life. Don't get passion outside the house, folks. Keep passion. Keep passion. But stay on guard against it. Understand that sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. Do you know that? Sin's desire is for you. It wants to get at you. Bitterness, anger, anxiety, fear, worry, all these things we talked about, they want to get at you. They're not content being outside. You got to wonder about that. Bugs, you got the whole world out here and you're flying around by this light for which there's no food over here. But this is where you're going to fly around. Sin lies at the door, but you should rule over it. Folks, you can rule over it. You can rule over anger. You can rule over bitterness. You can rule over anxiety. You can rule over fear. You can rule over worry. Well, I'm just a worrier. My mom was a worrier. Her mom was a worrier. I just learned worry. No, you didn't. Don't let it in the house. It'd be the same thing as says, well, my mom had bugs in her house. Her mom had bugs in her house. We just learned to live with bugs. Has anyone ever learned to live with bugs? I've never learned to live with bugs. I don't like bugs in my house. I want bugs to go outside the house. I don't want them inside the house. I want them outside the house. You know, when you're, I don't know if anybody's ever run on a, long period of time but if you run for a long period of time there are a certain number of bugs you will eat over the course of the year I'm not saying that you intended to eat any of them I'm just telling you that there are a certain number of bugs that you just have to understand I will eat so many bugs this year I don't want to eat them I don't desire to eat them but it's going to happen 
And so you're running on down the road. You must come to grips with this. Because as you're running down the road, you know, you're running and you, and you, you have to breathe. You have to breathe in. So when you breathe in, what can come in? Bugs. Bugs can come in. Oh, the bug. That's, that's not fun. Bugs are not good. Now, bugs also attack other areas as well. They don't just attack your mouth. They also attack your eyes. Have you ever had a bug fly in your eye? Happens all the time when I'm running. So I make sure I get myself a nice pair of sunglasses. My granddaughter calls that's that's my running glasses. She always asks, can I wear your your running glasses? Because they wrap around and they are a cool color. If you are going to run in glasses, they better look cool. And these are a very cool color. And she likes the color. It's kind of, uh, I don't even know, there's like three different colors on it. And um, they work. They're actually a particular lens that is made for trail running. I think it's a gimmick. But I put them on and said, man, these are good. These are good. And they're not so dark that you can't put them on all the time. So even if it's not real dark outside, I put them on because it keeps the bugs out of my eyes. I don't know if you ever heard this. I don't even know if this story is true. But I heard this story a long time ago that someone was out running and one of those gnats, one of those bugs got in their eye. You know, they rubbed it and tried to get it out where the bug didn't die. And it stayed in there and it was eating part of their eye out. That's the most gross, disgusting thing I ever heard. I don't even know if it's a, if an ounce of it is true. But I know every time that a bug flies in my eye, you know what I think about? <laughs> I think about that story. I'm thinking, kill that sucker. Make sure you <laughs> and passion rises up within me. So I put the glasses on to make sure that we keep those things out. But you see, they're at the door. They're at the door. We don't want them in. I want to keep them outside. But as much as we get passionate about not having the bugs come in our house, not eating the bugs... We're not as passionate about anxiety, fear, worry, bitterness, and anger coming inside of our house and doing the things that it's going to do, corrupting our passions. We're not as concerned about those things. But we need to be. Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, there's a lot in that verse. He's angry with God. He, is, he has a passion towards God. He's angry with God because God has not accepted this. Did Abel not accept his offering? Abel wasn't involved. It's not involved in the offering acceptance at all. Abel brought his. His was accepted. Abel didn't say anything to Cain. Abel didn't do anything to Cain. Abel was just his brother. That's it. The only thing that Abel did was do the right sacrifice that Cain knew to do but decided to do something else. And he got mad at God because God didn't accept it. Even though God says this is how you do it. This is the right sacrifice. Even though God said this is the sacrifice, he did his own thing and got mad at God. Have you ever had people do that? You tell them the thing to do, how to do it right, and they don't do it right and they get mad at you. I mean, that's just ridiculous, but that's what he's doing. And so he's thinking on this. He's meditating. Can you see the wheels turning for Cain? Can you see the accuser of the brethren coming down to Cain and sitting on his shoulder, whispering in his ear? Your brother. If he hadn't been there with that sacrifice, God probably would have accepted your sacrifice. It's because your brother is bringing these other sacrifices that God is not accepting yours. Something is said, something is stirred up and he allows sin to get in the door and bitterness and anger rise up. And his anger that was originally at God is now directed at his brother. And he rose up and he killed him. And you know, you've you got to be thinking about this for a while. How are you going to do it? What are you going to do? I know people always use this as an example, but do you notice that the first murder did not involve a gun? People want to say, we get rid of guns, we'll get rid of... No, you won't. 
people use a knife. What happens if you get rid of all the knives? People will use an arrow. People will use a rock. People will use water. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. If someone is passionate and wants to to, um, kill somebody, they find a way to do it. Gun or not. Let's go on to verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. I don't know about you, but that's how I hear him saying it. I don't hear, oh, I don't know. No, I, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Why are you bothering me with this? I'm mad at you because you didn't accept my offering. And you're coming here bothering me with these things? Where is your brother? I do not know. Verse 10. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Well, you're still alive, aren't you? Surely you have driven me out of this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And I will, it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now, stop for just a minute. How many people are on the earth? Adam and Eve. Cain, but Abel's not there anymore. He's dead. Why is he concerned about other people? Because there are more people born to Adam and Eve than the Bible tells us. Apparently a lot. Because he's concerned about people. He wouldn't be concerned about people. He'd just say, my mom and dad will kill me. He doesn't say that. goes on to verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Verse 17. And Cain knew who? His wife. Where did he get a wife from? How many have ever asked that question? People ask this question. Where does Cain get his wife from? Right? People wonder about this. I don't understand. Where does Cain get his wife from? Somewhere Cain found his wife. Where did the Bible doesn't tell us. So where did Cain get his wife from? It's real simple. It is not a hard question to answer. Cain's wife is his sister. Why is that so hard for people to understand? Because everyone who is born on the earth is born of who? The first Adam. Which also by default would also mean the First Eve. But the Word of God is looking at it from the man's standpoint because that's where the sin nature comes down. Everyone born on the earth is from the first Adam. So that would mean that Cain married who? Now, some of you might say, oh, that's gross. Oh, that's so disgusting. Folks, there's no one else. There is no one else. That's it. If you want a wife, there's your, there's your choice. All right. Now we solve that incredibly deep. That's how it went. See, your passions, folks, can become corrupted. When his passion for God became corrupted by a false sacrifice, a wrong sacrifice, and it was not accepted, his passions turned to bitterness and anger, which resulted in murder, which resulted in him not being able to do what he was on this earth to do. 
And then he would begin to wander. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Your passions are good. As long as they're ordained by the Word of God. As long as the Word of God says, you know, pursue this. Your passions are good. But the enemy wants to come along and corrupt those passions. And if he corrupts those passions, he gets you off of the direction of the Spirit and he puts you on the direction of the flesh. This is where Cain got off. He had a passion for God. And the enemy came to him and says, Why do you have to go and buy livestock? You have things that are perfectly acceptable to offer as a sacrifice. And God should accept them. And he listened and he did it. Folks, we've done the same thing. Just because your passion for what you want to do is good doesn't mean that the results are. The enemy loves to come in and corrupt good passions. Mess them up. And we saw this even in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were supposedly had a passion for God. Maybe they started off with a passion for God. But how many can say it got corrupted? They're going after God in the form of religion. They're going after God in their own ways. They devised their own ways to do these things. If you're going to pursue God, you must pursue God the way God said to be pursued. That's all there is to it. I mean, think about when, when you were dating or if you are dating. Think about it now. If you, are, if you want to date, if you want to court a particular girl, what did you usually want to go out and try and find out? Ask her friends, talk to her friends. What kind of things does she like? What kind of interests does she have? So that you could find where there's some common interest and maybe, uh, you know, I hear you like to, to, to do this. How about we go out and we do this together? What if you went out to the girl and said, look, I want to court you, but I only like to go to monster truck rallies, hockey games, and, and you name the things you like. You have to pick one of those things and I will pick you up and take you there. How many expect a favorable response from the girl? What would the girl probably say? See you later. Yeah, that's not going to happen, right? If we, know, if we are smart enough to know that about relationships with people, why are we not smart enough to realize that with God? That if God wants us to pursue Him, He's told us how to do it. And yet, what do we hear from the world? Well, there's many ways to get to God. And I just think that as long as you are pursuing the way that you think God wants, that God will accept it. That's the most, the biggest thing of garbage? Come on, really? You wouldn't accept it. What if an employer came to you and said, we really like your resume. We like what kind of work you're able to do. And we'd like to hire you, but we don't want to pay you the $50,000 that you're used to, and we think you ought to do it for 18000 Oh, by the way, no vacation. And you have to work 60 hours a week. How many of you are saying, oh, well, I, I, if, that's what you, if that's what I have to do? No, how many of you are going to say, no. No. I'm not going that direction. You cannot pursue me by making me do what you want me to do. It's not going to happen. So if we're going to pursue God, we've got to find out what God said and pursue Him the way that He said. But see, the devil knows what He said and He's going to take the passion we have to pursue God and try to corrupt it. Because if He cannot get you on a wrong passion, then He's got to try and take your right passion and corrupt it. And if He can corrupt your right passion, sin is at the door. And it will come in. Sin is at the door, folks. 
Its desire is for you. It wants to come in and get you. But don't open the door for it. Don't bring it in. How many of you have a little little hole somewhere on the course of your front door? And the purpose of that is for you that when someone comes and they knock at the door, that you look out the door to see who's there. Why? Because you want to make a decision as to whether you open the door or not and let them in. Now, I know people have all kinds of uh, interest in this. Some people lock their door all day long. Their door is always locked. Other people, they lock it at nighttime when they go to bed and they unlock it when they get up in the morning. And then there are also people who don't lock their door at all. Nighttime, daytime, it doesn't make any difference. Now, when I'm delivering a a bunk bed, every once in a while, I come upon a, a house that they'll open the door for me to bring all the stuff in. And once I have brought all the stuff in, the door is then closed and locked. The, the bolt is locked. If you want to get in, you better have more than a key because that bolt is locked. That door is locked. And if I have to go out to the truck and get something, oh, the door is locked. And I have to undo all the different things going out. And when I do that, I come back in. I do all the bolts and put it back in the, the way they, they do. They apparently don't want anyone coming in who's not acknowledged. And that's what we have those little holes in the door for so that we can see. Should we let them in? Or should we not? Why would we do anything different in the spirit? Should you allow bitterness and anger in? Should you allow that accusation in? If you don't let, the, let those accusations come in, you're not going to get so bitter. But see, it's the fact that you have a passion for whatever it might be that bitterness can get its root. It's because you have a passion for your friends that when the accuser comes and tells you things about your friends, oh, that can, that can stir up anger and passion and bitterness because you have a passion. You have a passion for your kids. You have a passion for your spouse. You have a passion for, for where you work. Wherever it is that you have a passion for, the enemy is going to come in and try and corrupt those feelings that you have and change you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The flesh, folks, has its own passions. Those are the wrong kind of passions. But the Spirit also has its passions. So the enemy has to try and take those spirit passions corrupt them and get them to turn into flesh powder, pat, uh, passions. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Isn't that what Cain did? Envied his brother. He was accepted, I was not. Don't to envy anyone in the things that they have, the things that they uh, possess. Your God is able to do far more. Just relax for those things. So you put this in your outline for you. Guard your thoughts. No one else is standing guard at the door here, folks, but you. Don't say, well, God's guarding my door. He is not. He's told you to. If God told you to do it, He's not doing it. It's not God's job to guard your door. Would you call over to your neighbor and say, will you guard my door? The neighbor's not going to do it, is it? What if you called the police? 911, what's your emergency? Uh, I need somebody to come by and to guard my door. Is someone there? No. Are you expecting someone? No. Are they going to dispatch somebody? No. Whose job is it to guard your door? It's yours. Whether you let them in, whether you don't, it's your job. Guard your door. So guard your thoughts. Refute accusations. 
Don't just ignore them. If the accuser comes and accuses your spouse of certain things, your friends, your employer, your co-workers, they come in and they whisper things. He whispers things in your ear and accuses those that are dear to you. Do not let it go. Don't do, well, I'll just ignore that. No. Stand up against it. My so-and-so, my spouse, my husband, my wife, my kids, my boss, my co-worker is not doing what you are saying. Stand against it. And he'll know how to leave. He'll have to go. If you have somebody who is knocking on your door and you don't want them to be knocking on your door, I mean, you might ignore the first one, second one, but the third one. How many are eventually going to go to the door and say, Go away. Leave me alone. You're going to say something. You're going to do something. You're going to make an action to get rid of that one. Make an action. Don't let the, the enemy just come and make accusations. Stand up against him. I will not listen to this. Because, folks, if you don't, because of your passion that you have, there is a foothold available for anger and bitterness to get in. Guard that foothold. Don't let it get started. Anybody have a bad habit that you wish you could get rid of? Wish you could go back and stop the first time you did that thing. Oh, that first time I went and bought a pack of cigarettes. Oh, I so hate having to go out and, and smoke and, and do things. Now, don't, don't anyone think you're going to go to hell because you're smoking cigarettes. There's not a soul in hell because God says, you smoke cigarettes. Sorry, you've got to go to hell. That is not one of those things. It's just a habit that we have, some people have picked up and they don't want it. They don't like it. Habit cussing. No one is going to hell because they cussed. I mean, you're saying, thank God. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you don't go to hell for these things. You go to hell because you've rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's why. But God will work on these other things that you want to get rid of. If you don't like them, you take it to Him and say, I, I want to get rid of this. He'll help you get rid of it. Drinking. Oh, I wish I never tried beer. Whatever it is that you that you like to drink. I wish I never take took that in. Well, your flesh has passions, your spirit has passions. Pursue the ones that are in your spirit. The ones that you identify as your flesh, get them out. And the Word of God has told us, you go back earlier in Galatians, it's going to list them. We've already listed many of them, but it's going to list them again for you. These are the works of the flesh. Anger and bitterness is in there. These are works of the flesh. Don't pursue them. If you are bitter against anyone, it is not your spirit that's doing it. It's not. Word of God talks about outburst of wrath. If you have an outburst of wrath, it is not your spirit. It lists these things. These are the works of the flesh. But then it also says, but here are the works of the spirit. Now focus on those. You focus on those, the works of the spirit. You build up your spirit, man. You crucify the flesh and its passions. See, if you can get rid of the passion for the thing, you can get rid of it. You can get rid of that love for the thing. It can be gone out of your life. That's what he says here in Galatians. Crucify the flesh and its passions. You do not have to have these things in your life. Anger and bitterness are going to try and get in. They're only going to be able to get in in those areas that you have great passion for. Don't get rid of the passion. Stand guard against it. Don't follow in the way of Cain. Cain was passionate, got angry, very angry, the Word of God says. And his countenance fell. 
Eventually, he turned into a murderer because of it. He probably thought he was doing okay. I mean, can you imagine standing before God? Where's your brother? I don't know. Why are you asking me about him? Am I his keeper? To God. I mean, how messed up do you have to be to stand before God and say, I don't know. And God comes right back. I know. I know. I know what's going on. Guard your thoughts. Refute accusations. Don't ignore them. Think on things that stir up your spirit, not your flesh. Those are the things you need to think on. Don't think on the things that stir up your flesh. The accuser is going to whisper things, get you to think on things that stir up your flesh. Don't do it. Think on the Spirit. Keep bitterness and anger away from you. Keep it away. Don't let it get in. Do not become bitter at your spouse. I don't care how right you think you are. Don't listen to accusations about your spouse. I don't care how right you think you are, how many other people are telling you you are right. Do not do it. If you do, the downturn your life will take is your fault, not your spouse's. The downturn that Cain's life took is not Abel's fault. It's not God's fault. It is Cain's. And if we don't take ownership of these things, we aren't going to change it. Keep bitterness and anger away from you. This is not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not bringing bitterness on, on you. He's not leading you in that way. If you follow it, you are not following after the Spirit of God. You're following after the flesh. You're following after something else. Sustain a life and walk in the Spirit. It takes something to sustain it. Whatever it is that you're going to do, it takes something to sustain it. You can't just sustain something because you want to. You've got to keep it going. How many of you folks are in the medical profession or have been in the medical profession? You cannot just get in the medical profession, pass all the tests, and then jump on it. You've got to sustain it. Continue education credits. You've got to keep going back and learning because the field is always changing. Other, other uh, things are like that as well. You've got to sustain it. You've got to keep it going. What are you sustaining? In your life. Sustain a walk of the Spirit. The more that you walk in the Spirit, the more when that accusa- the accusations come, the more the bitterness comes in, you know, in- oh, wow, that's wrong. That's, oh, that is, that's far into me. I, I don't want that. No, 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 no. Got to get rid of that stuff. Keep it out. Oh, I'll tell you what, your life will be better. So much better. But understand passion. Understand passion. Passion is not wrong. Passion is good. But passion can become corrupted or you can follow after the wrong passions. And that is the foothold for anger and bitterness. If you weren't passionate about it, you wouldn't care if the team won or if the team lost. You wouldn't care if this happened or if that happened because there is no passion for the thing. How many of you know some things you're passionate about? The rest of you? Come on. <laughs> be serious. There are some things you're passionate about. No one else may be passionate about it. But you're passionate about it. You like it. And when you are passionate about that thing, you pursue it. You pursue it. You read about it. You practice it. You think of ways that you can get that going in your life, whatever it might be, because you're passionate about it. Be passionate about God. Be passionate about walking in the Spirit. And don't let the enemy come in and corrupt. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that we can sustain a life and walk in the Spirit, that you have given us the tools You have given us the ability to to detect when the enemy is trying to steer us in a wrong direction. Take us on a wrong path. Father, we do not have to follow just because he's trying to get us there. Just because sin is at our door does not mean we have to let it in. We are the guard. And we can keep out 
what we want to keep out and let in what we want to let in. It is our house. And Father, I thank you for the authority you've given us in this. That you have exposed to us the plans and purposes of the enemy. And also revealed to us your plans and your purposes. And we choose to pursue those. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Any praise reports back there, guys? I don't see any up here. All right. Uh, Jim wants a prayer today. Come on up here, Jim. Jim is having... Um, is it the, the aneurysm? The aneurysm surgery on Wednesday. So we're praying for the, the surgeon and a quick recovery. All right. We can pray for all those particular things. Glory to God. This is the one that's in the, in the abdomen. Yep. All right. Glory to God. Father God, we just thank you that you have brought this to light, this that was not known before. The Father, you, you helped them to see what it was that was going on and Revelation came. We thank you for it. So right now, Father, we just lift him up to you and pray that those surgeons that come in and do this procedure, that, Father, it's done well, it's done excellently, and, that, Father, everything that needs to be done will be done, and what needs to be removed is removed. Father, I thank you for it. I thank you for a quick recovery and no complications in the name of Jesus. Complete healing from this. And we thank you for it, Father. Give you the praise and the glory for it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Just rest in that. Rest in what God is doing. We know the end from the beginning. Glory to God. All right. God, we pray for you. I thought we already prayed over that. What did you do to it this morning? I don't know. It's all bloody. <laughs> all right. Muscle spasms. It's just did you, you, it got hit? I don't know. It was worse yesterday. I don't know what happened. Oh. All right. Let's pray over this. The um, left eye, you can't see it from back there, but about half of it is just, just red. All right. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I we just speak to you right now. We don't know what it is that's causing this, but we don't need to know. In Jesus' name, healing on this body. Healing on this, on this eye. In Jesus' name. We command right now, just as Jesus commanded sickness and disease, that you must depart and you must go. And Father God, we thank you for the power of God that comes upon us. Complete healing power that comes upon us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs>